this morning uh, as my, I don't know if you can read that very well, but my uh, title slide says Unwrapped Tuper. So if you have not been with us, we're doing a, a little series called Unwrapped on the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. And today is a twofer, you get two for one. I'm going to uh, attempt to kind of conclude two messages this morning. Two weeks ago, I talked on the gifts of tongues and interpretation, and I didn't finish that, so I'm going to try to wrap that up this morning. And then I'm also going to follow up. Last week, uh, our young friend Tucker Arnold spoke on the gift of prophecy, and I heard that he did a fantastic job. So kudos to the prodigy, uh, who's not here this morning to hear me say that. But Tuck, you did great. And I want to follow up on that message this morning and correct all the error that he taught. No, not... not. <laughs> Actually, not... I, I, I want to follow up and talk about being on the receiving end of a prophecy. If someone gives you a word, what do you do with that? So we'll talk about that this morning. Uh, so, so we really are going to try to do two for one. Uh, I'm going to talk as fast as I can and make this as painless as possible. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. It's, it's so rich and so full. Uh, we would never, ever have enough time to cover everything that you have in there. But I am blessed and honored to have this time this morning to look into your word. I pray that you would open it up. Uh, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would receive all that you have for us today. In your name, amen. So jumping right in, a couple weeks ago when I talked about the gift of tongues, uh, I, I mentioned that there are two distinctive uses of the same gift, both as a personal uh, prayer life, a devotional tool, a tool for pr praise and worship as well as prayer, uh, and then it also can be used in public and we focused most of our attention that morning on the personal use of that gift. And I, ma I made the statement that I believe that's its primary use. Its primary use is as a personal prayer language. Uh, but there is a secondary use that uh, happens in a public arena uh, based on, on uh, the verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, again, has been our kind of core text for this series. 14.4 says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. And it's, it's basically that verse that I base that statement that it's a, primarily a personal gift on. This morning what I want to do is, is actually talk a little bit about two or three misunderstandings and sometimes more misunderstandings but sometimes misuses of the gift of tongues that happen kind of abroad in the church. Just clarify a little bit and then we'll move on to prophecy. Uh, but the first thing I want to I say is that uh, as the gift of tongues is used, in a, in a public arena. So, so again, uh, oftentimes, and, and probably, and I, we won't, I won't make you show your hands, but many of you use the gift of tongues as you pray in your own personal life. And I talked about driving. When you're driving in the car, it's wonderful. Uh, if you're in the shower, if you, uh, so those of you that like to walk or run, I couldn't imagine really doing it running, although I used to. But walking is nice. I love to walk and pray, and I'll walk and pray in tongues. Awesome. In a public arena like this, if you're in a, ser a worship service and a gift of tongues comes forth, which that happens from time to time, uh, then it requires an interpreter. Uh, 1428, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. I believe this morning, and I don't know uh, how many of you did, but when Sarah kind of said, hey, let's just, uh, you know, you just worship as you feel led this morning, uh, I prayed in tongues. I worshiped in tongues. Now, no one heard me. I was just myself. So I, I think I was well within the boundaries of Scripture there. Uh, I didn't hear anyone else speak or pray out loud in tongues at that moment. 
Uh, if they had, uh, that would have required someone then to follow up with a, a secondary gift called the gift of interpretation. So again, I've said, I, I, I've shared with you, I really believe this is primarily a personal gift. And I just want to give you my experience related to that, okay? Um, I have been now, as of this year, 2016, I have been in a spirit-filled environment, in a church that uh, practices and moves in the gifts of the Spirit for 40 years, 40 years. In those 40 years, and, and for 20 of the 40, I was actually involved in kind of a hub church where a lot of things happened out of that church. So I have literally, this is not an exaggeration, I have been in thousands and thousands of meetings. And I have been to hundreds of conferences where I've been in meetings several days in a row, two or three times a day. Hundreds and thousands, okay? If you ask me in all of that, how many prophetic words have I heard given I could not venture a guess. I, I wouldn't, I have no idea. Hundreds of prophetic words, maybe more than hundreds into the thousands. I don't know, a lot. How many times have I heard someone speak out in tongues in that same 40-year period in all those meetings? 20, 25, maybe 30, I don't know. But by comparison to prophecy, a lot less. And I had no control over that. That wasn't my, my wish or my desire. It's just what I've experienced, what I've seen. So, again, I'm just sharing with you, I really believe by and large in the church uh, at large that this gift is primarily a personal gift, but in, in public, uh, it can be used, and when it is used, it should, it should really be followed with an interpretation. Now, do not misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that we can't or shouldn't ever speak out in tongues in a public service. I'm not saying that. I feel if the Lord is leading you, if the Holy Spirit is prompting your spirit to do that, that you should do that. But I, I want to be honest with you and, and tell you that it presents a bit of a challenge. Uh, and it presents a bit of a challenge even for that person that feels prompted to do that. And, and here's the challenge. It's this. You, you might have the interpretation yourself. I have been in meetings where a person would speak in tongues, and then they also have the interpretation, and that's perfectly acceptable. That's fine. If you don't have the interpretation yourself, then you're dependent upon someone else to interpret that word, right? I have been in a few meetings, two or three probably, where a tongue was given, and then the person leading the meeting did the appropriate thing and just waited on the Lord for someone to give the interpretation and waited, and waited, and waited, and it never happened. And all I want to say is, that gives a whole new meaning to the word awkward, okay? Look, here's the thing. I, I want to I make this really, really clear. We are in an environment here. Our belief is that this is, this is a place where we take risks. We step out in faith. It's okay to learn and grow in the gifts of the Spirit. So if you give a word in tongues and no one interprets, it's not like a death sentence. No one's going to kick you out. Nothing bad is going to happen. But you're going to feel kind of awkward. I just want to say that. It's an awkward moment that, that you're going to have to be willing to say, I'm, I'm going to take that risk. Oftentimes, and, and let me say this, the context of 1 Corinthians, understand this, this is important. Was, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, okay? He's writing about misuse of gifts in their context. 
Now, I have not studied this, but I've read a lot, and there are people that have, you know, archaeologists and historians that have studied the history, and it, it's, it's believed the Corinthian church was probably somewhere between 40 and 150 people, okay? So roughly the size that we are here, maybe slightly larger, but not much. It would have been a house church met probably in a large meeting room of a home somewhere, but those people would have known one another. They would have been familiar with one another. They would have known who uses what gifts on a regular basis. And so if you're in that kind of environment, there might be someone there that you know has the gift of interpretations. So that takes a little bit of the edge off, okay? You could go, well, and when, we, when I was at uh, Anaheim Vineyard, one of our worship leaders there, a guy named Eddie Espinoza, had the gift of interpretation. And very often when someone would speak out in tongues, he would be the one that would interpret. And even on occasion, uh, someone would speak out in tongues, and then you would, have, you would notice everybody else kind of go, and look at Eddie like, we know he's going to give the interpretation because he had that gift and that's what he did. So again, I'm just saying that makes it a little easier in an environment where we don't know and you don't know. It makes it difficult. But I don't want to dissuade anyone. I'm just saying uh, that, that generally speaking, in public, we want to follow with an interpretation. So that's, that's one thing. Second thing that happens is this. And this happens, this, this, this is true of both uh, a word in tongues as well as a prophecy. Um, Sometimes uh, a person will kind of just go off. They will just stand up and give a very lengthy word, usually uh, loud, and oftentimes in sort of uh, mystical, hyper-spiritual language that hardly anybody really understands what they're saying. And oftentimes that word will actually come at, at a sort of odd point in the service where you normally wouldn't expect that to happen. And, and I want to say, that's probably not a legitimate word from God. That's probably just a person who needs some attention, okay? And uh, Paul says here in verses 32 and 33, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Let me say this. You can control the manifestation of the Spirit in your life. God does not violate your personhood by forcing the Holy Spirit upon you. So I have had people say, well, I gave that word because I was just following the leading of the Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit. And my response is, no, you were following the leading of your Spirit. Okay, so I'm just bringing this up to say that God is a God of order. God values structure. God values uh, uh, something that glorifies him, honors his word, and edifies his people. That's the use of the, the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit. The whole latter section of, of 1 Corinthians 14 from verse 26 all the way through the end, verse 40, that says, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way, is about structure and order. So I say that simply to say this, that you can control the gifts of the Spirit. You can't just say, I'm being Spirit-led and do some wacky thing and think that's the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. That's not the Spirit. The Spirit honors order in the church. We provide here, as do many, many other churches, opportunities for the Spirit to move. We make place for that to happen. 
We don't structure our service so tightly that there's no opportunity for that to happen. We allow for that to happen, but we expect it to happen in an orderly and structured way. I would just say this in closing. There's a balance. We, we, want, uh, we want both things to happen. We want God to move. We want the Spirit to have freedom. We want God's people to step out in faith and take risks. But we want that to be done in a way that, as I said, honors the Lord, honors the Word, and edifies His people. So, so we really look for both things to happen at the same time, for everything to be done in a fitting and orderly way. Um, last thing I want to say about the gift of tongues, and I don't think this is really an issue here, but it's, it's a widespread enough belief and position that I think it's worth mentioning. And that is that in, in some settings, uh, it's, it's held that the gift of tongues is the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Meaning simply this, that if you speak in tongues, you're filled with the Spirit. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. Well, again, I think what, what that does is it causes a kind of spiritual hierarchy, a, a, a sort of a uh, a division in the body where we have, you know, over here in this section, the spiritual people that speak in tongues. Over here, we have the not-so-spiritual people that do not. The problem that, that I see with that position is, is this, that it's not in the Bible. That poses a, an issue for me. Um, if you read through the book of Acts, and, and I would encourage anybody who has interest in learning more about how the Spirit works in the life of the church, just study through the book of Acts, you'll find this. There are places where it says that a group of people, the Holy, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Yes, it does say that. There are also places where it says uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they prophesied. There are several places where it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the Word of God boldly. So what those people did when they were filled with the Spirit was go out and evangelize and share their faith. There are other places where it says that they were filled with the Spirit, and then there's no specific manifestation mentioned at all. And so my point is simply this, that it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. It's not a formula. You can, and, and so my point here is you cannot theologize experience. Just because someone was filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues doesn't mean that everyone will speak in tongues when they're filled with the Spirit. Um, it's that simple. It's that simple. So tongues is not the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, nor is it the end-all, be-all. And I, wanna, I just want to say that. I want to say if, if you've prayed for the gift of tongues and you haven't received it, I encourage you to keep praying and keep, keep seeking God for it. But it doesn't mean that you're less of a Christian, that you're less spiritual in any way at all. It just means that for whatever reason, God has not given you that gift yet. And, and I think he will at some point. Um, I believe this is a gift because of the unique nature of it, that it's self-edifying that seems to be a gift that God is very willing and happy to give. It's in widespread use across the body of Christ, not just in the vineyard, but in, in churches, uh, all different kinds of churches all over the world. And I believe that it's one that, that is a blessing to many people. So I would encourage you to um, continue to take Paul's advice, seek the gifts of the Spirit, and eagerly desire them in your life, okay? I, here's, I'm going to add one more little thing, one more little thing. Um, if you ask me, what is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? I would say this. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
If you want to know if someone is filled with the Spirit, I would look for that in their life. That, to me, is the evidence that they're filled with the Spirit. Someone said once, gifts are given, but fruit is grown. What that means is that if somebody gives you a gift, you really, you may not have done anything to earn that gift. What that says is they're a nice person. It doesn't say anything about you. And that's the way the gifts of the Spirit are. They really don't say anything about us, sorry. They say a lot about God. But fruit is grown. Fruit is the result of cultivating a life in the Holy Spirit. And that will be the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, we're doing so good. Thank you. Um, I want to move on to prophecy. And, and I want to talk about this today. I think this is important. Um, so let's say there's two, there's two kind of dynamics. One is someone has a prophetic word for you. They give you a, a prophecy. That's one dynamic that happens regularly in the life of the church. The other is this, that we're gathered together and a prophetic word comes forward. That's for the whole church. So either whether it's personal or corporate, um, the same dynamics apply. We are told three times in Scripture to weigh or test prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, our, our key text for this series, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Paul also in 1 Thessalonians says, and here I love the balance of this, of this verse, do not treat prophecies with contempt, don't blow them off, write them off, but test them. Hold on to what is good, reject what is evil. And then Paul also brings, I mean, I'm sorry, John brings this up in 1 John. He says, friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, let me say this, a couple comments on that. First thing, there are a number of mentions of false prophets in the New Testament, um, and, and that is one reason we are to weigh prophecy, because it could be coming from a false prophet. But it's not the only reason. Even if a person is a, we'll say a true prophet, or I like the term a prophetic person better, um, they're a prophetic voice in the church, they can still be wrong. Okay, they can still miss the mark. And, and so uh, here's what I want to do for today. I think for our purposes generally, we're not, we're not as concerned about a false prophet. If a false prophet comes in here and starts spewing prophecy, we'll, we'll, I'll deal with it, okay? Uh, but I think for our purposes, what's more important is an actual prophetic voice, somebody that really does hear from the Lord speaking that might be right or wrong, or might be partially right and partially wrong. That's, that's much more likely to happen in our midst, okay? So, so I really want to focus on that. Uh, the, the second thing I want to say here, in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, uh, Paul says two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. It's a little ambiguous there who the others are, and so I really did do a little bit of word study and background on this, and I looked it up, and, and it's... it's uh, what that is referring to is the others, not the other prophets in the room, but the other people in the room, the rest of the congregation. I want to, uh, Wayne Grudem says this. I, this is I just, Grudem's book, The Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament and Today, this is gold. Uh, just, I, I know most of you aren't theologically inclined and probably would be bored stiff reading this book, but it's, except for my friend Brogan. But it's so, so good. And he is so good on the gift of prophecy. Uh, it just, well, I, it's just for me, it's well, I just, uh, I love theological stuff. Uh, Grudem says, 
taking into consideration both the context of 1 Corinthians 14.29 and the sense usually attached to the Greek term diakrino, uh, others, we can conclude that 1 Corinthians 14.29 indicates that the whole congregation would listen and evaluate what was said by the prophet, forming opinions about it, and some would perhaps discuss it publicly. Uh, Each prophecy might have both true and false elements in it, and those would be sifted and evaluated uh, for what they were. So the others there is in reference to everyone who hears that word. We are instructed to weigh that out. Um, so third thing, you know, here is simply that we're told three times to weigh or test prophecy. So this really is a, a probably an important thing for us to give consideration to. We really should do this, okay? Uh, the reason... The reason that we're told this, and here's where the, the kind of the, I think, confusion comes into play sometimes, is there's a difference between uh, Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophecies. In the Old Testament, and we, we do not have time to develop this fully today, but again, Gruden is excellent on it if you want to do more study on it. But basically, kind of the summary of statement would be this that in the Old Testament, prophets were speaking the very word of God, okay, um, and a word that was coming directly from God, to disobey that was to disobey God. So it was on a different level. In the, in the, that would be equivalent, and, and really, to, to a New Testament apostle, the apostles wrote scripture. So really, Old Testament prophecy is, is, is a better comparison would be New Testament scripture, not prophecy given in the New Testament church today. In the New Testament, uh, a person can have a gift of the Spirit and speak that forth, but hearing, the, it's not the actual words of God. It, it's, it's God speaking to them, and there's a lot of opportunity uh, for sort of interpretation and, and, and understanding there. And a person can be wrong. They can be, they can be right one time and wrong the next time. And they can even be partially right and partially wrong in the same word. Uh, so, so let me say this. In the New Testament and in the, in the New Testament church today, in, our, in a church today, we don't have the whole picture. All right? And this is confirmed for us. We'll conclude this series in a few weeks in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but in 13... In between 12 and 14, Paul says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For, why is that? We know in part and we prophesy in part. When completeness comes, what's he referring to there? Hmm? Completeness. Jesus. When Jesus returns, when Jesus comes back, what is in part will disappear. Then we'll know everything. When I, and it gives an example. This is an illustration of what he's saying. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And he concludes his statement. For now we see only as a reflection in a mirror. Then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I know fully, even as I will be fully known. So we don't have the, the whole picture. To, let, let me just be clear here. To ignore the instruction, the biblical injunction to weigh or test prophecy is profoundly dangerous, okay? It's profoundly dangerous. 
um, we do not want to ever make a decision or, or, or set a direction in our life based solely on a prophetic word. I want you to know that that is a recipe for disaster, and I've seen it happen a lot of times. A prophecy is given. That prophecy is to be weighed. It's to be tested. It's to be processed. It's to com be confirmed by other sources. It, it, it's it, any, and I would just say this. You can you, you check me out on this. Uh, anybody with any wisdom at all, including most prophetic people, would tell you the same thing. We weigh that prophecy. We weigh prophecy. Um, I want to I take the next 10, 15 minutes and talk about how do we weigh prophecy? What does that mean to us? And I actually, uh, I had some fun this week. I, I went back and looked at, uh, I, went, I went to YouTube and, and I looked at John Wimber's teachings on prophecy and I found, it was amazing. There's probably like, you know, I don't know, hundreds of Wimber things on there. And I found his series on prophecy and the first one I clicked on, he's talking about weighing prophecy. I thought, bingo. Um, so I didn't have to spend 10 hours going through stuff to find it. But I thought John's stuff was very good. He gave, us, he gave four ways that we weigh prophecy. And the first was content. What's being said? You, just, you weigh based on, on what's being said. So two or three things that that means in terms of weighing the content. One, is, is the prophecy concerning or, or is it confirming things that are already being said or I'm going to add said or felt in the congregation. And when I say felt, I mean this. And you guys will identify with this. Sometimes there's a sense that God's doing something. You know what I'm saying? In a church, in a congregation, there's kind of this sense that God's doing something. But you can't quite, I, I know God's saying something. I know he's doing something in our midst. But I can't quite get a hold of it. You have this feeling. And then a prophetic word comes in. It clarifies that sense. So sometimes it's just a feeling. But oftentimes, it's also something that God's, already saying to the church or the person or the congregation. Uh, for example, you know, you, sometimes there'll be this sense that there's just a season of grace, a season of forgiveness right now, or maybe a season of prayer. We're to really focus in on prayer. And you'll, you'll, you'll feel that and you'll hear that in different ways, and that'll come in different means. God doesn't speak things once. He speaks them multiple times. Um, I want to give you a personal example, and I've shared about this a little bit before, but I'll, I'll share it again today because it, it, it means so much here. Um, when Donna and I came here from California to plant this church, that was something originally that God spoke to us. It was in just the two of us. And we, we really we heard it very clearly and very profoundly. And it was, it was really a word from the Lord because it was not our intention. Our heart, we were not looking to get out. We were very content to be where we were and wanted to stay there. But we felt God spoke into our hearts to, to come and plant this church. So we prayed about it. And then I've shared with you before, the next thing I did was I took that to three people in my life that I really look up to as spiritual leaders, as mentors, as people that were wise elders in my life. And I asked all three of them independently, here's what I believe God is saying to me, what do you think? And all three of them said, I think that's the Lord. So that was a check. That was a confirmation for me. I'm hearing God's voice. So then something weird happened. We were leading, I was leading a young adults group at the time. It was a big group, a lot of people, and no one knew that we really, there were there were actually at that point, uh, there were six people in the world that knew that we were considering leaving to plant a church. Donna, myself, the three people I talked to, and my pastor. No one in my group knew, and this kid comes up to me one night at the end of our service, and he goes, he was nervous as all get out. He goes, I, I, 
I think I have a word for you. He said, is that okay? I go, yeah, that's, that's fine. And he goes, well, it's, 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 from, it's from Deuteronomy. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, Deuteronomy's good. I like Deuteronomy. And this is what he reads. He starts reading the book of Deuteronomy. This is the first words out of his mouth. You've stayed on this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp. And I'm like going, seriously? And uh, then he says, it's, it's a word to Moses about going into the promised land, which I thought was, uh, made me very happy. But he says, he says, go north. And I'm like, seriously? It says, go to the foothills, this and that. And it says, go as far as the great river. And I'm going, you have got to be me. Are, are you serious? And he gets done. He goes, this, is that okay? I go, you have no idea. Uh, so all I'm saying is that he, this, this young man had no idea what he was saying, but that prophetic word confirmed things that God was already saying in my heart. So that's important. Another thing, another way we weigh the content of the word is, is it consistent with what's being taught in the church? Now, I know this might come as a shock to some of you, but I want to say this. Sometimes pastors actually hear from God in regards to what they're teaching us. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes a prophetic word will come that is very much in tune with what's being taught already in the church. And this happens here pretty regularly. This happened just a few weeks ago. I cannot remember. I was trying. I, I spent half an hour the other day trying to remember the word. But I remember the occasion because it was on a Sunday morning at the end of worship. And I, we were up here. And I said, does anybody have a word? And Rennie McVicker came up, and she gave this word. And I looked at her like, what the heck? Because it was exactly what I was going to teach on. I'm like, okay, well, so you just completely ruined my message. Um, which she didn't really ruin my message. What she did was confirm my message, that it was from God. So very often, a prophetic word will be in, in line with what's being taught in the church. <coughs> Every now and then you might hear a prophetic word that's completely the opposite polar direction. And I would question and weigh that word a little more closely. The last thing I'll say on content is that God will very often speak the same thing to multiple people. God usually does not give a, a word, one word to one person, and that's that. But very often you will hear very similar themes, very similar ideas coming through different people. And so we want to first weigh the content of that word. The second thing we want to do is weigh it against the Scripture. Now, this, to me, I want to give you some clarification here. What prophecy does is it gives you focus on Scripture. It does not add to Scripture. Okay? Prophecy is not in the same level as Scripture. It doesn't add to it, nor does it interpret Scripture for us. I said earlier we don't theologize experience. We also don't theologize a prophecy. Okay? What that means is that doesn't mean that this is the way it always is. Of course, a prophecy can't a disagree or conflict with scripture but what it does in the life of a church is it will give us focus and what i mean by that is this has anybody the bible is a big book have you noticed that there's a lot of things in there there's a lot of things and i've known pastors and churches in my life who it sometimes it seems like they're all over the map they're trying to do everything all the time and i want to say you can't do that we're not called to do everything all the time. 
It might be good stuff. It might be real stuff. It might be stuff that God's saying. We're not called to do all everything in there all the time. Sometimes a prophetic word comes and it gives you clarification. This is what God's speaking. This is the part of the scripture. This is the theme that we're to focus on right now. It gives us focus. Does that make sense? Sometimes there's evangelism is an easy illustration. You know, you're, you're, let's just pretend I'm praying about what to teach and God starts speaking to my heart about evangelism. So I'm thinking we want to share about that. I'm going to start teaching. So I'm preparing a, a series on evangelism. And then two or three prophetic voices come and give words about evangelism. So then all of a sudden, you're going to focus in on those passages of Scripture, on how we share our faith, on how we proclaim the Word of God. That's what God's doing. So it gives us focus on the Scripture. Here's um, a quote from John in his, uh, this isn't, he speaking now, he didn't write this. Principle means by which we discern the accuracy of something is knowing the Bible. The more you know the Bible, the easier it is to discern error in what's being communicated. As we learn to weigh or test prophecy, one of the most important steps is to know the Scripture and the teaching of Scripture as it relates to the prophecy. So we want to, uh, to, to read and study and know the Word of God, and the more we know the Word of God, the easier it will be to discern Scripture. The third thing I want to talk about is fruit. Um, every now and then, <laughs> encounter... Uh, a prophetic person who doesn't like this. But uh, at the end of the day, it's the bottom line, really. Um, if, if things bear fruit, they, they're of value to the church. If they don't, then they're really not. And you've kind of got to look, is, uh, is this prophecy happening? Is, is, it, actually ha- is it actually happening? Um, I, I just, look, we're not, we're not focused on works. We're focused on grace and on the Spirit of God but we've got to be honest, okay? We can't just live in some sort of a hermetically sealed spiritual la-la bubble somewhere. Uh, if a prophetic word comes and it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen. And we can't pretend that it's actually happening. I had, we had at times, you know, I mean, these prophetic words come about God was going to do this and that and fill these stadiums and do all this stuff. I'm just going, that never happened. That never happened. We have to be honest about that and just say, that didn't happen. Okay? That wasn't an accurate word from God. That's okay. I, I don't want to say this here. This is important, and, I, and I'm, I should have said this earlier. When we weigh or test prophecy, we're weighing or testing prophecy. We're testing the word, not the person. Okay? So we're not weighing the prophet. We're not saying, that guy had a bad word. So he's a false prophet or we don't ever want to listen to him. That's not what we're saying at all. We're saying on the merits of that word, that word may not have been an accurate word. Does that make sense? So we're not judging someone and saying they're a bad prophet or a false prophet. Again, that could be the case. I told you, I'll take care of that. Um, We're weighing the word on the merits of the word itself. So if it bears fruit, it bears fruit. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's just... That's reality. Um, I'm going to skip that. Last reason is the spirit, of, or the last way that we, we uh, weigh is the spirit of the prophecy. Let me tell you what I mean by that. A very simple, uh, a very simple test here. Does the word bring conviction or condemnation? Does the word bring conviction or condemnation? What is the spirit of this prophecy? I've heard prophetic words before. I've been in meetings where a prophetic word comes 
and it leaves the entire place feeling like crap. That's not a working God. I'm just telling you. Um, I don't generally like to name names, but I'm going to name names. Um, there's a, there was a gentleman that visited us for a while. Um, I won't tell you who it is, but he was an older guy, and he's an author and a very, very well-respected person in Christian circles and a prophetic voice. Um, but oftentimes, and, 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 and in all fairness, he was with us very late in his life, and he was, he was I don't know if he was tired or just grumpy, but he would prophesy sometimes, and he would point his finger when he would prophesy like this, you know, and you just go, oh my God, you know, and I just, I'll never forget the early morning prayer meeting, and I was in my office with my friend Randy having a cup of coffee, it's like six o'clock in the morning, we both look like death, you know, and I go, man, I, and he looked at me, and he goes, I just don't know if I can take another day of the long bony finger of Ravenhill. You know, it was just like, oh, I just said who it was. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it was just, it wore us out to listen to this guy. Because you walked away feeling like, I am the lowest form of dirtbag on the planet. And I'm just saying, to me, the spirit of that, even if the content itself was accurate, the spirit of it was condemning and it wasn't positive. Now, I'm not saying that a prophecy can't be challenging to you. I think it should be. But that's conviction, not condemnation. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. Um, condemnation makes you feel worthless. Conviction inspires you to action. If, if you leave a meeting, if a prophecy comes and you leave thinking, man, that makes me that that makes me want to get engaged. That makes me want to do what God's saying. That makes me want to be a part. That's conv that's conviction. That's a good thing. That's a real challenge to our hearts and our spirits. Prophecy should do that, but it shouldn't make us feel bad about who we are in Christ. Okay. Um, so again, uh, going back, uh, when we weigh prophecy content, what's it saying against Scripture? Does it bear fruit? And what's the spirit of it? Is it condemning or convicting? Um, last thing is just this. Again, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. It's, it's a, you know, a, a relatively small church. I believe all the gifts of the spirit, including prophecy, function best in the context of the local church. I know that that's not always the way they work. And I understand that. And I think there's allowance for that. But I believe that they work best in the context of the local church. That in community, we process together. We know one, an we know one another. We have opportunity to ask questions, to evaluate, to weigh these things out together uh, in community. And that God will edify and encourage and comfort his people through those words. Okay? Does that help? Let's stand.